spiritual care during unprecedented times. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast, at least remotely, from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Faith Daniel. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit New York City harder than any other city in the world. To date, over 200,000 New Yorkers have tested positive for the virus, and over 15,000 have died. The devastation has been overwhelming, and the anxiety around protecting yourself and your loved ones has only grown worse. With so much uncertainty prevailing, many seek spiritual guidance for understanding and healing. At SBH Health System and other hospitals around the country, chaplains listen, comfort, and consult with patients and families. Here with us today to discuss her role in providing spiritual care during the COVID-19 pandemic is St. Barnabas Hospital's Chaplain Ruth Dionis. Welcome, Chaplain Ruth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. And I just want to thank you sincerely for all the work that you do. Um, I know people, when they think of frontline staff and essential staff, they immediately think of nurses and doctors, but you are definitely one of those people supporting patients and healthcare workers. So I just want to thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So I wanted to start generally about what is spiritual care and what does a chaplain do just to give our audience a little bit of a sense. Many patients ask me that question, and I've had a lot of time to work on my short, little, encapsulated definition. So usually what I say is, if you're in the hospital, something most likely not so great is happening in your life. Some people, many people see that as a crisis, or it's a really tough time in their life, And that's where chaplains want to be, is where there's a tough time, where there's a crisis. To hear what's going on with the person, to investigate with them, given their spiritual orientation, what might help them at this time. And be the person that can hear how they're really feeling. And you don't have to be religious per se, or even like spiritual per se, um, to speak with you, right? Correct. Anybody who's standing in front of me can speak with me. Atheists, people without any, who believe they have nothing spiritual going on in their life. I think most people do. I would like to mention what I think my favorite definition of spirituality is. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is the way in which we find meaning and purpose in life and the way we relate to that which is transcendent. Mm. So that covers a lot. Right. Yeah, it's very broad. It's kind of like, and spirituality and just like, you know, hope and belief is a journey. And I think like it's almost like on a spectrum kind of, and wherever you fall, even outside of that, I think speaking with a chaplain or just being in your presence will always be very helpful and comforting. Yes, And could you walk us through a typical day for you, especially now, given um, the COVID-19 pandemic and how insane things are in hospitals? What is it like for you? What is a day in the life of a chaplain or chaplain roof look like? Would you like a pre-COVID 
description of a day and then post. Yeah, with all of the very sad stories that we've been hearing on the news and, you know, people kind of hearing it but not being able to visualize it because it's been like so devastating. Um, If you could walk us through what that looks like from your eyes. So prior to COVID, I get each day patient list. I share that list with my co-chaplain. He's a priest. He's been assigned here by the archdiocese. And so he visits the Catholic patients and I visit everybody else. We focus on the inpatient units because there's no way we can visit everybody, being two people for the hospital. And I make Literally, I make rounds. So I go to the inpatients unit and walk in and introduce myself and see if we can start a conversation. So for me, there's something very intimate about walking into a patient's room. This is right now their home. It is where they're conducting their life. And it's very different than their home. They have lost privacy. They have lost the right to say who can visit them. And a chaplain is one of the few people who they can say no to easily. Mm -hmm. And it seems like during this time, you're probably one of the only people that are visiting them outside of their doctors and nurses, right? So actually, at this time, I am not making personal rounds. So that's pre. What does it look like now, given the uh, social distancing? Given the risks inherent with each person entering the room, it is best, and I have been told, not to visit and round the way I used to. What my role is now has evolved, and I think I finally come to what my ministry is right now, but it was a process. Less people entering the room is better in terms of managing spread. Mm -hmm. So then I had you guys help me the communications department, and we came up with a card that would be placed on patients' trays so they could reach out to me. Look, there's virtual care available. Call these numbers. When I have gone to the floor, say, fifth floor, all of the units on the fifth floor, everyone there, just about without question, is intubated. So no one can talk. No one can move. No one can pick up the phone. So that is definitely a situation where the person can't answer the phone. On other floors, it could be because they're too sick, they don't feel like it, or they simply use just their cell phone. They're able to access you 24-7, right? So if they do have the card and maybe today they don't want to reach out, they're still able to access you 24-7? They can reach my phone lines 24-7 and... If they decide to call my cell phone, then they can reach me 24-7. Each day, I get a list of patients who have died. And so I call the families of the patients who have died. I have not been able to keep up with that list. Oh, wow. There's been a lot of death. I would say at the surge, maybe... 12 to 15 patients in a day, and now it's down to six or seven a day, and that's still a lot for our hospital. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. So now it seems like it went from, you know, speaking to patients directly, given the chaos and the social distancing and them just being too sick to now you having to just call families and let them know. And what has that response been like from the families? And what has that experience been like for you as well? So even when I'm in the hospital and the person is here, many times when I go into the room, I don't see the patient. They're out of the room. They're with the doctor. They're on the phone. They're sleeping. When I call families in this time of staying home in isolation and they see it's a call from the hospital, 98%, I would say, of people answer. I am reaching just about everybody I call. So that's a big difference. Then the first response is usually a bit of surprise that the chaplain's calling, but mostly there's tremendous gratitude that I have reached out to them. And I also think it's a softer touch to come from you. You have such a calming presence and voice, and I know that you are able to comfort them during that time. And it's never easy to hear that a loved one has passed away, especially from something that we also still just don't know a lot about. We're still trying to find a vaccine for it and treatment. So I know that must feel a little worse. Right, right. Yes, the fact that someone reached out And I think the biggest thing that I almost feel like when a person sees a phone call from the hospital and I think the first reaction is fear, I don't say now that the worst possible thing has happened, your loved one has died, but I ask them how they're doing and there is a gratitude. Someone has reached out and is interested in what they're going through right now, especially now that they're alone. Maybe they're talking all the time with, with their family. Who Everyone's situation is individual. You know, spiritual care isn't necessarily for everybody. So I guess how do you respond to that if there's like any pushback from anyone? Sometimes I definitely have what I would call a pastoral visit where it's someone talking about what moves them most deeply and touches them most deeply at this moment. But many of the calls are about logistics. They've been told the body can only be in the morgue for seven days. Who do I call to see if it's still there? The funeral home hasn't been able to get to me yet. They're crazy busy. Who do I call? I need to get my loved one's property. Who do I call? So there's even just handling logistical and being able to give them an extension where they might really reach someone soon is a relief and can be for everybody. Right. That's true. Like even though the call may not necessarily be like something specific to like spiritual care, you just being able to get them to the right person or to iron out those logistics must be so relieving in itself for them and kind of clears up a lot of the confusion and anxiety that comes with all of this. Yes. And what are the primary concerns? I know you mentioned, you know, the logistical parts are definitely the biggest concerns right now, but are there any other concerns? Can we talk a little bit about that? Sure. The biggest, biggest thing is not being able to be with their loved one physically, not being able to talk with them or be with them physically. Yeah. And just like missing that, um, like physical touch and intimacy, being able to hug somebody and, you know, speaking to their children or, you know, giving them a good night kiss, I think is very hard for people to kind of process right now. 
being able to say goodbye. Yeah, right. Being able to see that they're not suffering. Mm-hmm. Right. Being able to advocate for them as well at the bedside. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes, that this is the biggest, the biggest. And how do you console them through that when they're, you know, so upset that they can't be at the bedside, they can't have that physical touch? What is your advice? I don't usually give advice. What I am is a witness. Wow. That was really, really hard for you not to be with your loved one. And I can hear how much it hurts you and has caused you sadness and pain. So it's like acknowledging their pain and just being empathetic. I think empathy goes such a long way. So I wanted to speak about like final resting during this time. So given the pandemic, how are folks planning the final resting of their loved ones? What I'm noticing in my conversations with the families of people who have died is how stressful and how difficult it is to make the plans. They are told that they have seven days to make arrangements as far as the hospital is concerned. Now, that is not possible at this time. Funeral homes are completely overwhelmed. So I can give them the phone number to call and encourage them and quiet them a little bit in knowing that even though they said seven days, there is really, everyone knows that this is a difficult time and not to worry about it. As I said, the funeral homes are overwhelmed. Many family members told me that they are instructed to wait in the car before they can go in. There is a long waiting. Some funeral homes do permit, and it's up to each funeral home, a personal meeting, but they limit it to 10 people, including staff, in order to enable the social distancing. Other funeral homes do not have the ability or say that at this time they cannot have services in person. So people need to either opt to a memorial service when that becomes possible later down the road, or if they are comfortable with technology. Someone walks the miles to collect stories and organize it. A very meaningful Zoom service can be held for a loved one. In my personal experience, I think most people are having to opt for cremation these days, which is a change. There is so much that's unknown about being with the dead body of someone who's died of COVID and how to handle it. So I think there may be some changes in traditions and what is possible at this time. I think there's a lot of not knowing in terms of how this is impacting people and how far down the road this is going to have an impact. I can only imagine how devastating it must be um, to have to like bury or plan the final resting of a loved one, especially if it had any correlation to COVID and the limitations that exist now. But I think it's important for us to, I guess, like focus on not the limitations, but the things that we can do so we can still communicate with funeral homes. We could still do like a Zoom service so that we can still express our feelings and feel that we have a sense of community. Um, Someone can still reach out to you and speak to you about the process and 
also just like hold like you can hold their hand through just the emotional toll that it must be to even have to plan all these things. So there is some hope or some positivity that can come out of this and that there's other ways or creative ways that we can work together. Yes. Then even a memorial service three months, four months down the road can be meaningful and very special. It's a different time and allowances need to be made. And it's totally understandable for someone to feel very disappointed or disheartened by the fact that things are different. And it just like adds to the difficulty of it all. So I like truly, truly um, sympathize with those families. As I speak with people, I really hear from them the knowing that they're part of something so much bigger and they're not alone in this. And there's a lot of, as we said earlier, communal suffering, community suffering, not just personal. I think that brings some understanding and patience, forbearance at this time. Right. Because it seems like, you know, the process is going to be like double the amount of time. And I can imagine the anxiety that comes with, you know, just knowing that you have a family member that passed away and then also figuring out things at home. But then in addition, speaking to strangers and then what that must be like and then the process just being longer. So it's even more gruesome. So I truly, truly sympathize. And how would you speak on, you know, those that are struggling and especially now to connect with their spirituality because there's so much uncertainty. Um, You know, people are feeling lonely being quarantined. It feels like there's no end to this. Any advice or what would you say to those people that are really struggling with that right now? Return to your spiritual practice or ramp up your spiritual practice. So the practice that you have in place, be more diligent, be more concentrated, pay attention to it. So it can bring you nurturance. That's one thing. The other thing is having compassion for yourself, knowing you're going to feel sad and you are going to grieve and that hurts. Mm -hmm. And you're going to feel this hurt. It's an important part of grieving. If you didn't love, you wouldn't be hurting. No, that's true. That's true. It's kind of like, you know, the joys of love, unfortunately, come with the sadness of, you know, if there's ever a loss or if there's, you know, the anxiety of knowing that you could lose somebody from being so sick. But then also knowing that, you know, accepting that those negative feelings will come um, and, you know, hanging on to, if anything, like clenching your spirituality and your faith and whatever you believe in at this moment to, you know, get through it is important. That's a really good point. Right. So keeping your spiritual practice or developing it, acknowledging and being with your grief. There may be feelings of guilt at this time, but whatever feelings that you have, it's important to live with them, to survive them. You will survive them. It hurts terribly rather than clench down on them, push them away. Some people may have to do that right now. The pain may be too intense, but ultimately those feelings will need to be, if it's not today, a year from now, five years from now, 30 years from now, it seems in what I've learned about grief that people need to live it, experience it, 
to move on from it, to always miss that person, always maybe have a sadness, but the feelings do transform and change over time. It becomes something else. And the important part is allowing yourself to feel it. That's true. And yeah, being patient with yourself that, you know, you're going to have good days, but you're also going to have bad days. And you're right. If we don't address it now, it may not be in a month or two months, but eventually it'll resurface. But I guess it's whenever you're ready. You know, if, if it's today that you're processing because it may be too painful or a month from now, but important that you know that it's something that you will have to acknowledge. And for those, I feel like there is definitely a collective grief almost across the country, the world, with the number of deaths that are happening. It's a new experience for us all. And there's also this nuanced thing about, you know, now that we're quarantined and we're alone, a lot of people are feeling lonely and having a lot of negative feelings about that, you know, being locked down. So I Mm -hmm. guess what advice or words of wisdom would you have for those folks that are just like, you know, struggling? Because sometimes the home um, could actually be the toxic environment and, you know, the people that you're around especially for the people, you know, that are unfortunately in like domestic violence situations or, you know, if there's child abuse happening or, you know, like self-harm and addiction and everything. And with being alone for such long periods of time or isolated could ignite those things. And those people may be struggling to connect with their spirituality. So what advice would you give for those folks? Well, first, I would like to acknowledge and concur with your statement is collective grief and even trauma yeah. with this situation. And it's important to acknowledge that it is a collective. It's bigger than one's own personal experience. I would recommend looking at it as, again, as a grief to be lived through, witnessed, acknowledged. Sometimes, as you're saying, one's home could be the toxic environment and that could be a really huge challenge at this time. I think as much self-care as you can bring to yourself, so being kind and compassionate with yourself, and if necessary, you may need to leave, go to another safe place. Even with the lockdown, I think there are options, and many, many resources are being posted in places. I believe New York State website, other places. I think it's important to research those resources and look for help if you're in an untenable situation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, there definitely are still resources out there. And it's so important for us to know that, you know, even though it may feel like there is no hope and we feel so hopeless and out of control, that we do have some sort of control in this situation where there are resources out there if you are struggling with any uh, with substance abuse or domestic violence in your home. And if you are seeking for help for like spiritual guidance, a lot of different places have been doing things remotely. I know that, like some churches have been doing services over the phone or through Zoom. And if you even wanted to tap into maybe like going to a new church, you could do that right from your home. Or if you wanted to try a meditation, you could also do that from like YouTube. Like YouTube is a great resource. I'm learning a lot from YouTube too that you can do from home and you can get it on your phone, laptop. So that's also great as well. 
And I also wanted to comment on what you mentioned about trauma, because it does feel like it's a collective trauma. It's beyond our personal experience with this all, because our actions with COVID-19, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, our actions impact those around us as well. So, you know, if I um, went out and I was in a crowd and then I came home and then exposed my family. So it's, right. it's almost like we all have a responsibility to protect not only our ourselves, but each other, our loved ones, our neighbors. And I think it's also a time now, even though we're all quarantining, um, you know, we're doing this lockdown, we're keeping our distance, it's also a time for self-reflection. And and we could think of it in a positive way in that now I can do the things that I always wanted to do. I can, you know, journal, I can reflect. If I wanted to see a therapist, I could do that remotely still as well. I can still speak with a chaplain if I needed some spiritual guidance, if my family member is in the hospital. So there's definitely options for sure. Yes. Well said. Well said. (laughs) Yeah. So how are you supporting healthcare workers during this time? I support them in various ways. One is when I'm called. So, for example, this morning I went over to the department, one of the departments of osteopathy, to speak with the residents and the director. They called it a didactic, but it was mostly to talk about their spiritual concerns now, what's on their minds and hearts. So, upon request, I visit. I have also visited when departments have a loss of one of their members. It's an opportunity to honor that person, say a prayer, acknowledge how important they were and an integral member of the staff, of this group, of the team, and offer blessings for for that life and that person. Occasionally, I also walk through the halls, which is nothing new and always give people the opportunity to air what's going on for them. And can you speak a little bit more about the work that you're doing on our intranet, our workplace? Sure. I've been asked to be a more visible presence at this time. I am looking for ways to connect with people with what I'm seeing and what I'm feeling I offer something about myself. I offer opportunities, ways to cope with emotions. And I always offer an invitation that I'm available to speak. It may not be in an open forum like workplace. I always issue an invitation and know my door is open to speak. Right. Yeah. And it looks like, you know, Um, We're all adapting to the time given the social distancing rule. So it's interesting that now that because of that, you have shifted a little bit of your services online and now we're utilizing the intranet um, for you to give um, like care for our healthcare workers. So it's awesome that we're able to adapt and um, still work with them, even though we're not able to be physically close sometimes. Well, it is still possible to be physically present as long as we're wearing our masks and holding uh, social distance, so six feet, we can still talk and be with each other. It is different. Uh, it's hard to breathe in a mask. It feels different. It's a little awkward. However, it's a bit awkward, I believe, on workplace to voice your 
your worries, your concerns. And that's why I do offer, I always ask a question at the end of my postings. In what ways are you connecting with this? How has your spiritual practice changed at this time? I really want to ask an open-ended question and offer the invitation so people know that I'm available. However, whether it's on workplace or with social distance personally. Right. Yeah. And that's also such an amazing touch that you add um, to every post and to every message that you send because it allows for everyone to learn from each other. And it kind of strips away that hierarchy where it's like we're all students in this. We're all learning how to cope um, and we can all offer like some form of advice, some form of comfort in a way. Absolutely. So true. Yeah. And you also just never know what anybody is going through. And you never know that, you know, your one like comment or your one mantra that you you say at night could also help somebody else. So it's an amazing thing. And I love the interactiveness of it all. Yes. One thing I say to myself often is, or pray for myself, is to have faith. We are not always given the opportunity to know our impact. It's a gift to know it. But Often we're not given that gift. So I ask in my prayers for the belief, the knowing that somehow with my heart open and the invitation that I have touched somebody. And you certainly do, Chaplain Ruth. And to close things out, is there a mantra or a saying that we can leave the audience with that may help them cope with this difficult time or your favorite mantra that you have? Well, one mantra that, yeah, so I have a favorite mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, and that calls on goddess of compassion to be present, to give guidance, to bring me personally to a space where I am more compassionate, I have more intuition, more insight, so that's my favorite mantra. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for that. My mantra lately, and I have like a little plaque in my room, it says like, be brave and believe. And mm-hmm. it's something that I really try to hold on to because it feels like, you know, making any step is scary. You know, going to the grocery store now, something that was so easy for us is mm-hmm. a little scary or even meeting new people. You don't want to touch them is scary. So I've been trying to tell myself, just be brave, you know, like listen to the public health experts, listen to the doctors, believe in their what they're saying, believe that things will get better and it will make our days a little bit brighter. Nice. Very nice. It is a time of fear. I can see fear on a lot of people's faces. Mm-hmm. So breathing through the fear, believing in the known steps, uh, the social distancing, wearing a mask, washing your hands 20 seconds, and moving forward, even with the fear. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the important part because it feels like, you know, we have to be brave every day now, even in the instances when we thought that, you know, we didn't have to, or it didn't take some courage to do, like walking on the street, we have to. And, you know, just following what the experts are saying, doing what you know you have control over, I think is also stabilizing. So knowing that I wash my hands, I know that's keeping me safe. I know I wash my services, that keeps me safe. Instead of focusing on the unknown, I feel like can be very anxiety inducing. Yes. 
Well, thank you so much, Chaplain Ruth, and thank you all for joining us on SBH Bronx Health Talk. For more information about our spiritual care services, please visit our website at sbhny.org or call 718-960-6280. Thank you so much for joining us, and thank you again, Chaplain Ruth. You're welcome.